Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Hey, well, glad you're here tonight. We're talking, and we're in the third week where we've been talking about money. Been looking at money and really trying to figure out what the Bible has to say about it, the place that it belongs in our life. We're all going to deal with money at some point and to some level. And we're all going to have some amount of money flow through our hands and how we, how we deal with it, how we spend it, and our attitude towards it is really going to affect the way, how long it lasts, what we're able to do with it, and what we're able to do for the kingdom of God. What we're able to do or what we're not able to do for the kingdom of God. And so before we start, I thought I'd quote Benjamin Franklin. He said this. He said, he that is of the opinion money will do everything may well be suspected of doing everything for money. And really, we, we talked about that in the previous week, about really just leaning on God, that the number one false God is money. Because money promises security and happiness. Although it cannot deliver either, that is what it promises. And really, it's relying on God. And last week, we talked about just, just, just getting a handle on money. And we, we, we ended, as we were talking about living within your means, living within our means. We talked about the way that we do that is this. is One, is we make a distinction between luxuries and necessities. I mean, you can't even find a car. I tried. I looked for a car that does not have power windows. You can't buy a new one. They do not make cars without power windows anymore. It's just, it, it's, it's just a part of how it comes. We have a hard time distinguishing very often between luxuries and things that we actually need. But if we're going to live within our means, we need to have that distinction. And we need to have the discipline to say no to things that are luxuries and not needs that we just simply can't afford. Not because they're bad, but because we can't afford it. If you can't afford something, you can't afford it. Proverbs 21, 20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. And I think one of the things that really gets us in trouble in that, and you might not, you might not think so right at the very beginning, but I think if you, if you track with me, that we'll all end up there together, is this, is a lack of humility. We look at things, what our neighbors have, what this person have, what a friend, what a coworker, what our relatives, what our sister, what, what they have, and we think, okay, well, if they have that, then I think I should too. And really, it is a matter of saying, wait a second, it doesn't matter what car I drive, I don't need to compete with them. That whole keeping up with the Joneses thing, I don't, I don't need to compete to have the nicer, newer, faster quicker, this, that, or the next thing. But really just saying, you know what? I'm fine. My identity is in Christ. Doesn't matter what I drive. It doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. I like what 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says. It says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They're not wise. I'll read it one more time. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. But yet, it's really easy to compare and say, well, look at what they've got or look at where they're at or what it appears. They've got this appearance. I want to have that same thing. But I, I really do. I think it's just a matter of sometimes being able to just say, you know what? Just being humble and being like, this is where we are right now. 
Not that these things are, it'd be fun to be able to go on those vacations, but that's not within our budget right now. And because we know that's not in our budget, we're just not going to do it. Yeah, you have to tell your kids, yes, they get to go on those trips and their parents paid for that, but we can't do that for you, so you're not going to be able to do that. We can do other things, but we're not going to be doing that. And it's just being able to say no and just being humble and saying, no, this is, this is our situation. And here's the stuff that we can do, and we're going to have fun doing this. Life isn't about what you have. If you think it is, you'll never have enough. Luke 12, 15 says this. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If it didn't need to be said, it wouldn't be in there. A man's life does not, or a woman's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. For some reason, every, we can get in this, yes it does, look at I've got all this, doesn't this mean I'm valuable? Doesn't this mean, look, look what I was able to accomplish because of this? Instead of finding our identity in Christ and using what he's given us to further the kingdom of God. I can tell this is going over really, really well. <laughs> Maturity is this. Maturity is the ability to postpone pleasure. Immaturity is demanding what you want right now. No matter the cost or whether you can afford it or not, I want it right now. Why? Because I want it. I want it now. We can go to the nursery right now, and I can show you all the little kids, I want it now. If you say you can have it later, you might as well have said, no, I've got a two-year-old. He does not understand what later is. Either I say yes, or the, all he hears is no. And I'm like, no, seriously, okay? You can have it. The answer is yes in like 10 minutes. And, oh, but I want it now. He does this one. He goes, And I'm like, who taught you to do that? But I said yes. It's just not this exact moment that you can have it in. And there's some of us that, and maybe you know these people. I know they're not here, but they're, they're that exact same way. They're not two anymore. They're 42, but they're still, I want it now. I can't. Yes, I can. Shink, shink, and they slide a piece of plastic. I'm buying it now. Why? Because I want it right now. It's just, just, some of that is just a matter of simply being humble and saying, I can't really afford it. And that's just the truth. Why? Because I do not have the money to go do it. And there are some things where it, it, it would be nice and it would be convenient and it would be great and it would make my life easier, but I can't afford it, so I'm just not going to do it. All right, well, well let's move on to the next one. This one's going to be probably even less popular, but we'll go with this one. We'll go with this one anyways. Then the next thing, if you guys are taking notes, which I'm sure you are, is this one. So write this one down. When it comes to getting a handle on our money is this, is get out of debt. If you want to have a handle on your money, it's get out of debt. If you want your money to have a handle on you, you stay in debt. Proverbs 22.7 says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. There are certain decisions in our lives that just have huge impact, Right? I think one of those would be who you marry. It's a big decision, right? You're like, I'm going to make this decision. I get to make it one time. That is the goal. I want to make this one time. 
and then I'm going to do everything I can to just, this is it. Another really big decision that we make are some financial decisions, especially when debt is involved. When debt is involved, we take some decisions that would have a much, much more isolated impact on our life, but we involve debt in it, and it suddenly spreads that out. It's pre-spending money. It's pre-spending what we do not have, which then dictates the way we have to live and where we can go and can't go, what we can do and what we can't do, where we can volunteer and where we can't volunteer because we've made a pre-decision to spend money we didn't have for something. So debt is a big part of freeing ourselves to be able to do all that God wants us to do. For some of you, this is gonna be a bit of a wake-up call to, hey, let's get out of this. For some of you, you haven't made some of these decisions yet. I want you to really, really think hard as you consider what you would borrow for, what you wouldn't, and just the, not, not just the financial cost of debt, but just the limiting factor, the leash it will that it can put on your life in controlling what you can and cannot do. Now, back and I have some friends, and they're out of this situation now, but for a, a, quite a while, they were in a situation where they would have, they, they wanted to have kids. She's like, hey, this is, this, I'm getting older, we need to have kids. But because of decisions that they had made five and 10 years before financially, they're like, we can't afford. We, we can't afford to take the break that it would be to even have kids and go back to work. We cannot afford that. And they put much of their, they're rearranging their, their life around their debt. It was controlling the way that some major life decisions that they're like, we didn't realize it was gonna have this big of an impact on us today. Proverbs 13, seven says this. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, and yet has great wealth. There's a lot of people who we look at and you think, man, they've got They've got a lot of money. But I think this verse right here is oh so incredibly true. They pretend to be rich. And here's what they do is they, they don't buy what they can afford. They borrow what they can afford. And what, the, what people will tell you you can afford is you can afford the payment. Not the item, but the payment. And here's the problem with that. Is like we said, it is that leash. You are now locked into this thing and allowing it to control what you can and cannot limit, at bare minimum, limit what you can and cannot do. Where you can go and where you cannot go. At bare minimum, it is going to limit. Thomas Jefferson said this. He said, do not bite the bait of pleasure till you know there's no hook beneath it. That is pre-spending money. It's pre-spending money. I had a friend who bought a car. And then, I don't remember exactly how, this was, this was quite a while ago, but she totaled her car. But the circumstances around how she totaled the car meant that the insurance wouldn't pay a nickel. So there she was with $6,000 in car debt, no car, and still had to make every one of those payments. And she's like, I need a car, but I can't afford a car because of my last car. And I totaled that thing 
and now here I am stuck doing this. And it actually stopped her from going to school that she needed to go to. She's like, I'm working right now to pay this off so I can get a car, so I can get over here and go to school. And she, put, she postponed going to school, I forget it was for two or three years to be able to do this and then save up some money and get this and round some things off and then go to school. Because of a decision that she'd made. So I think when we, when we think of debt, we need to be reminded, Proverbs 22, verse seven, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. And here's the thing, normal, normal, normal Americans, they broke. It's just normal. And broke doesn't look like it used to. It's not like the, oh, they're wearing rags. No, no, no. They broke in their nice cars. They broke in their big house. They broke as they talk on cell phones. And I don't even understand that one. But yes, they're broke. In fact, here's a, here's a statistic for you. The Federal Reserve, um, statistics from the Federal Reserve uh, said this, that every household, this is the average of every American household that has a credit card. If you don't have a credit card, this doesn't include you. If you do, this includes you in there. Some will be higher and some lower. But so the average American credit card holder owes $7,115. That's some money. They owe $7,115. The average American household has $203,163 in household debt. Over $200,000, and that includes this. That includes mortgages, credit cards, and student loan. That doesn't include cars and some other things. All that includes is mortgages, credit cards, and student loans over $200,000 per household. That's a leash. That's, that's more than a leash, that's an anchor <laughs> holding us, holding so many people in a particular place. Now the Bible does not teach that debt in itself is a sin. It just warns about the consequences of being in debt. But it is not a sin, the Bible does not teach that. Deuteronomy 15, 16 says this, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations. This was God addressing the nation of Israel. He says, you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. Debt within itself is not a sin. However, our attitudes and some of the things that we are buying, you might be able to say, well, you know, they were overreaching and they were serving things and they were, that's what they were doing when they were doing this and they were getting in debt then yes, the motives behind that could be bad. But debt within itself, although it is not a sin, the Bible warns against it and says, hey, look at what this is actually costing you. Look at the leash. Look at what you're going to be doing. And if we're gonna do this the way that God wants us to, then we need to look at his principles and see how those apply to our life and not get caught in the norm. God says, my ways are not your ways, nor my thoughts are not your thoughts. And we need to really look at what God has to say about it. Now, one thing, bankruptcy. When it comes to bankruptcy, the Bible does talk about that. We're going to look at a couple of the different things having to do with debt. One would be bankruptcy. Romans 13, 7 says this. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, taxes. If you, pay, if you owe revenue, then pay revenue. If respect, respect. If honor, honor. 
The Bible does not specifically say bankruptcy is wrong, but the principle is there that if you owe somebody something, you find a way to pay it. If you owe it, you pay it. Do your best to pay it. Uh, we, we talked a bit about this last week, the, the whole buy now, pay later. Uh, Dave Ramsey in his book, uh, The Total Money Makeover, says that 88% of the buy now, pay later end up, they all pay later. And it's just, it's an absolute disaster. Because instead of paying for the actual item, you pay the item plus 21%, and the 21% is cumulative over the days, and the 90 days that were the same as cash really aren't. Now you're paying for all of that on top, and you've got a late fee on top of that, and all of a sudden you are paying way too much for something. Way too much, way too much. And again, it brings you back to Proverbs 22.7. The ritual over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Another thing the Bible talks about when it comes to debt is co-signing. It's co-signing. Now, if you go to the bank and you say, hey, I'd like to borrow some money. I want to buy this over here. The bank is going to do something. They're going to ask for your social security number. They're going to do this and say, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to take your social security number. We're going to check with a couple of different credit agencies. And we're going to look and we're going to try to figure out the likelihood that you are going to be able to pay us back. And if they think that you're likely to pay them back, they'll say, yes, we think you can pay us back. Sign here. Here's the money. If they do not think you're going to be able to pay them back, they'll say, hey, we don't think we cannot give you money. However, do you have somebody else that could co-sign this for you? Really what they're saying is, we don't think you are able to pay this back, but who else would pay this back for you? That's what they want. They think they, there's, a, there's a high probability they will not be able to pay it back. We need somebody else to be on the line for this. And the Bible does talk about this. It's co-signing. And it says this in Proverbs 17, 18. It is poor judgment to co-sign another's note, to become responsible for his debt. That's exactly what you're doing is you're becoming responsible for somebody else's debt. I like what um, my father says about it. He says, do not take responsibility for that which you do not have authority. What you become when you co-sign somebody's debt is doesn't matter what they do or don't, if they're responsible with their money or not, you're responsible to pay it back. You have no authority over what they do with their money. You can co-sign for that car and they can go and spend every dime on haagen ice cream. And you have to pay the car back. They could have, and if they don't and you weren't unaware of it, then all of a sudden you're in trouble and people are calling you and you get those phone calls. And oh my goodness, we got a new number a couple of years ago. And whoever had the number before us did not like to pay bills. And all of a sudden, I'm getting all these calls and these creditor things. And I'm like, you, and to me, it's, it's kind of funny. Because I'm like, I know I, I don't know. I know I don't owe anybody. I know I don't owe you anything. And the, but man, they're absolute jerks. I mean, just incredibly rude. And I'm like, you do you realize how mean you're being? And I'm, and I'm talking to these guys, I'm like, you got the wrong number, but if you had the right number, you're being such a jerk, I would never want to pay you. I told this guy. And he's like, well, I'm just doing my job. I said, I don't think it's your job to be a jerk. If it is, you need a new one. Or you found the perfect job because you just are. And he's like, well, you don't have to, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm sorry, that came off wrong. I didn't mean to be a jerk. I was... Yeah, you, you, you got it. 
But having those phone calls and things come in, and that's how you're going to find out because you don't know what somebody else is doing until those wonderful, nice people all of a sudden call you up. Co-signing the Bible says, do not do it. In fact, Proverbs 22, 26, do not be a man who strikes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay them, your very bed will be snatched from underneath you. Um, th- that's why they need someone to co-sign for them. Is they, these companies that make their living by lending money and knowing whether people are going to pay it back or not, they think this is a bad bet. They're not going to pay it back. That's why they need somebody else to sign for it. That's why they think. And, you know, sometimes it's like, well, I just want to help them. And here, here's, here's my thought on that one. Is if you want to help somebody, help them. But if you can't afford to, you can't afford to. You just can't. If you can't afford to, you cannot afford to. And as, as, as we're talking about debt here, I want to get on the, a bit more on the practical side of debt. Um, when it comes to debt, there really, there's three types of debt. We're going to put debt in three categories. We're talking about consumer debt, that's the debt that you or I would have. Not business debt, not corporate debt, but debt that you and I would have. There's three types of debt. The one type of debt is unsecured debt. That's debt that's on your signature. You say you pay it back and they're like, okay, like a credit card. That's credit card debt. If you do not pay that back, what happens? Do they come back and take the, what'd you buy, a bunch of shoes? Do they come back and try try to repo your shoes? No, they come after you, okay? That's consumer debt. That's uh, unsecured debt. Then the next type of consumer debt would be this. You've got the unsecured debt. Then you have secured debt, but it's on a depreciating asset. It's something that when you buy it, it's not worth, after you bought it, it's used, and so it's not worth as much money as it was. Something like a car, a boat, an RV, a lawnmower, th- those types of things. When you buy them, if you borrow money for these, the minute you get it off the lot, it is not worth what it was. It's not worth what it was. Um, for instance, a car. A car would be secured debt because if you don't pay it, they're going to come try to get. They're going to come get your car, and in some cha- in some cases, they'll come after you for what they can't get out of the car. But they're going to come after the car. A car that you buy, on average, according to Edmunds.com, that the average new car loses 11% of the value the second you sign the paper because it's used. It doesn't matter if it's on the lot. You bought it, it's used, it's no longer coming from a new car dealership, it's used, it lost 11% of the value. This is what that means. Unless you put over 10% down on that car and you borrowed for it, it means you're upside down meaning you owe more money than the car is worth. That's what unsecured, or that's what secured debt, even if it's a car, if it's a depreciating asset, it's going down, 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 down. That's, that's what they do. In fact, what I say, after five years, this is according to Edmunds.com, after five years, the car that you paid whatever for is now worth 30% of what you paid. So if you borrowed on that, where are you in trying to get that thing paid off? That's the second type of debt. Then the third type of debt is secured debt for something that you would call an appreciating asset, which we all hope our homes are. Doesn't always work that way, but we would all hope that is. And that's something that you, you buy and you hope 
there is, there's no guarantee that I know of that it is going to be worth more tomorrow than it is today. So there's three different types. But no matter what we decide to borrow for, I wanna, I wanna read this. And when I, we just talked about a house and borrowing for a house, and that's what most, most of us, we think we know, and we hope that this will be worth more tomorrow than it is today. And do I really wanna rent something over here? But we're talking about debt, and we just talked about the three different types of it. But when it comes to a house, I wanna read this. I want you to think about this when you think about house and going in debt for a house. Proverbs 24, or purchasing a house, period. Proverbs 24, seven says this. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. After that, build your house. Um, We do pretty much the opposite of that. We go and we say, I want the biggest house I can get. How many years can I stretch this out for? I'll do that. And we buy this big old house, right? This big old house. We stretch out our payments for 30 years. 85% of new home mortgages are for a 30-year term. So the majority of us is what we're doing. We're saying spread this out over the next 30 years of my life. I want to pay for this house. I want to be chained to this house. But understand this. This is what this verse said here. It said, finish your outdoor work, get your fields ready, and after that, build your house. And here's what it's talking about doing. It's talking about not tying up what you have in your house. If you look at it in terms of a farmer, it makes absolutely sense, and I think it's really easy to see. If a farmer builds his house instead of planting crops, what's going to happen when it's time to harvest crops? He's not going to have anything to harvest. And what does it matter if I have a house to stay in? If I have no crops, if I have no food, if I have no income coming in. What this is talking about is first, before we say, I want to buy all this house, and we all need shelter, we need some place to stay, that's, that's a nice thing. But before I tie up all this capital, money, in a house, the Bible talks about first saying plant your fields. And maybe your field is an actual field. Maybe your field is a business. Maybe your field is you're into stocks and bonds. Maybe your field, I don't, I don't know what your field is. Maybe you buy and sell and you do eBay or you do Craigslist and you're running down to these stores and you're reselling things over here and you're doing this and that's your business. Maybe that's your field. But the Bible talks about not having everything tied up in this. But first plant your fields and then build your house. This is something that I did not see, that my dad showed me, but did not show me. Maybe 15 years ago he did this? No, not even that. Not even that until after I had bought the house, my house. He showed me this. And when he showed me this, I go, well, I wish you had told me that earlier. He's like, yep. I'm like, what is that? What is that? He's like, well, I just thought you'd like to know. I'm like, no, I didn't anyways. But when we look at our ability to gain wealth and then to use that as a tool to further the kingdom of God, one of the biggest things that's going to decide how much we have for most of us is this is how much 
we have put into a house, how much of, of our income that is sucking up, and how much seed is that leaving over for us to plant? Because we all get so much. How much money is that leaving for us to do anything with? I mean, if opportunity was to come knocking tomorrow, a great little business venture, would you have $20,000 to put in? If a deal showed up on this car that you know you could resell for half again that much, would you have 10000 to buy it right now? We all have to start somewhere. But consider this when you're looking at your house, when you are, if you're about to buy a house, if you own a house, if you're thinking of downsizing, if you're thinking of upsizing, wherever you are in this. This isn't to say you did anything wrong or what you did the wrong way, but to think about it right now and say, okay, God, how much of my life is chained to debt? How much of what you've put on my heart am I able to do right now? And what part of it am I not able to do because of debt? Is there something that I can get rid of and how can I, so that I can do what you've called me to do, so I can give what you've called me to give, so I can be what you've called me to be, and no longer chained to doing this and going here and going back and forth to work to pay for the car that I go to work and the house that I sleep in at night to get right back to the job that I don't want to be at. But it's all I've got right now. What I really want to do is go over here and I want to get involved with this missions here and I want to reach out to these people here, but I can't. And really freeing ourselves up to be and to do all that God has called us to be, the things that he's put on your heart to do. He's equipped you and you have the ability to do those. And it's really looking at debt, seeing it from a biblical standpoint, having the humility to say, I don't need this and that. I'd much rather, I'd much rather be storing up treasures in heaven than driving that color car. Is it, is it really that important? And saying, okay, I want to look at this in the... In the whole grand scheme of things, how important is this? Do I want to go in debt in this? Again, I want to say this. I want to make this really clear. It is not a sin to go into debt or to be in debt. But the Bible warns against the chains that will then hold us, which is debt. And again, it's one of those decisions that we make with money, and when it involves debt, that it just impacts such a large period of our lives that are then chained in and are, how are we gonna get out of this and what are we thinking here? And again, my prayer and my hope for every single one of us, every single one of us, is that we have the freedom, the ability, the finances to go where God is sending us, to give where God is sending us, to say what he's sending us, sending us to say, telling us to say, being his hands and feet, instead of sitting there saying, I wish that I could, but I can't. There's a lot of really great, great opportunities and organizations that do a lot of really good stuff. And how nice would it be to say, you know what, yeah, I can support that because I want to and I can afford to do so. I can afford to do it. Yes, I'm absolutely gonna do this. And to plant seeds that will not just make us smile for a while, but will have an eternal impact on the people's lives that we may never even meet. But saying, yeah, we can do this. Yes, absolutely, we'd love to do that. I'd love to send you. I mean, that's what the Bible says. One of the things that the Bible says is how will they hear unless somebody tells them? And how will somebody tell them unless they are sent? Unless they're sent. I think one of the big parts that God has for each and every one of us is making sure that we're doing our part. And some of that is sending people. It's sending people. And one of the ways that we do that is through our finances. 
is we send people. We say, you know what? You're going where and you're going to do what? And you're going to further the kingdom of God? Let me help you. Let me send you. And when we do that, we partner with them in what they're doing. We become a part because we enable that to happen. I hope that each and every one of you, as we, as we worked at budgets and we talked about budgets, that you have that in there. You say, I want to make sure that I'm sending the gospel. Not only what I'm doing, because I can be in one place at one time. That's it. I haven't mastered the multiple places yet. But what I can do is I can, through finances, I can send the gospel to places that I'll never be and make sure that it happens. Saying, you know what? Who's going where? I'd love to be a part of that. Here you go. You're doing what? That's awesome. You're reaching some people down That's great. Here you go. I'd love to be a part and helping to make that happen. And I hope that each and every one of you make that a priority to look at debt in a biblical way, to see it and say, okay, what can I do? What can I do? And really spend some time saying, God, what is it you've laid on my heart that I could do, that I need to be doing that I'm not yet? And look at debt and its impact on that. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? We are out of time. If you're here tonight, I want to make sure that every single person that can hear my voice knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven. See, Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. We've been talking about money and what the Bible has to say about it because God cares about every single aspect of our life. The Bible says that he has the hairs on our head numbered. Not counted, but numbered. And he wants nothing but the best for you. If you're here tonight, you do not know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die if you'd go to heaven. If you can hear my voice, you can know. You can know tonight where you're gonna go. But it's not just when I die. Jesus said, I came to give you life to the fullest right now. You can, you can know tonight that you are forgiven and that you're set free from all the sin, all the shame, all the guilt of every, of, of your past. And you can begin to walk in the peace that comes only through a relationship with Jesus. If that's you tonight, you can know that. The Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So if you've never done that and you want to, or if you say, there was a time that I was saved, but I've not, I've pulled away, and where I'm living now, I'm so far, I'm, I'm not there anymore. If that's you, then you can come back too. The Bible says ask to be forgiven. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. If you'll just confess and say, God, I want, I want to come back, he will forgive. But if there's either of those, on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up high. None of this halfway stuff, I want it way up high. And in raising your hand, you're saying, I want to be forgiven, I want to be set free, I want to walk in the peace that comes only through a relationship with God, and I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm on my way to heaven. Get ready, one, two, three, shoot up high. Say, that's me and I want to know that. I'm leaving here. Thank you. Knowing, thank you. Being a shadow of a doubt, thank you. Where I am and where I'm going and where I stand with God. I don't have to question it. I don't have to doubt it, but I'm going to know. There's another one. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, put your hands down and let's all, there's another one. Thank you. Let's all just pray out loud with those that lifted their hands. And those that lifted your hands, just make these words your own as you repeat these. Say, Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood, for dying for me. Forgive me and make me new. From now on, I want to live for you with all that I am 
I'm yours. Come rule and reign in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.